When my wife and I first got married in 2012, it was quite an eye-opening experience for us, as I'm sure it is for most couples. This whole navigating two separate people with separate ideas and habits and ways of seeing the world trying to become one. And one particular way that I remember this playing out very early on was the day that my wife suggested that we rearrange the living room. I was fairly immediately against it. I like my chair in a certain place. I like the TV in a certain place. I like the rest of the furniture that I never sit on to be where they go and stay where they go. You guys know what I'm saying? Anybody following me on this? She argued that it would be more aesthetically pleasing to have the furniture in a different arrangement. And I have to tell you, she may as well have been speaking Icelandic for as much sense as that made to me. But I decided we could come up with a compromise here. So I suggested what we could do is we could take one of the chairs that was sitting over here in this corner and move it right to the very adjacent corner. Hmm? Or what about this rug here? We could take this rug and we could move it like four or five feet to the left. Now, as great as this suggestion was, those of you who are laughing, I can tell that you can probably see the problem right off the bat. It wasn't really rearranging anything. It was such a slight difference that we couldn't even call it a change at all. And this morning, as we move to part two of our current line of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name. I want us to see that almost all of us attempt to deal with the hallowing problem that we identified last week in a very similar way. Faced with the reality that we do not properly recognize the glory and wonder of our almighty creator and do not enthrone him as ultimate thing, we attempt to utilize the Adam Lips method of interior decorating as an approach to our spiritual lives. We move the rug like three feet to the left and we decide that's probably good enough. And the prophet Isaiah was experiencing something similar in his own life leading up to what we just read in chapter six. Isaiah was called by God to preach a really difficult message to the people of Judah and in the first five chapters of the book of Isaiah, that is what we find him doing. Calling out their moral failures, not unjustly. This is a huge part of the job responsibilities of a prophet. And the people of Israel were in a real bad way. This was a people that had been largely ignoring God refusing to live in a manner that God desired, failing to pay heed to his guidance and his commands. It was a people with a hallowing problem. And as we consider what a proper hallowing of God can really look like this morning, this is the first question for each and every one of us. 
Is God a mighty force in your life that you constantly have to reckon with? Is God a reality that can challenge you and transform your understanding of the world around you? Is God a holy fire that burns within you? Or is he merely a holy idea? Is he a puppy dog God who never challenges you, never disagrees with you, and believes and desires exactly what you believe and desire all the time? When you picture God, is his personality mostly like yours? Does his sense of morality align perfectly with the way you see the world? Does he root for the same sports teams you do? Does he vote the same way you do? Would he retweet all your posts if he could? For the prophet Isaiah, up until chapter 6 of his prophetic book, his answer to these questions might have also been, Yes, but starting in chapter six, everything changes for Isaiah. Why? Because Isaiah saw the Lord. Now, let's not skip over this too quickly. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, this, this is the Bible. Of course, it says things like that. No, this is not a throwaway statement nor is it typical even in Scripture. Isaiah saw the Lord. I want us to picture that and keep that picture active and alive in our minds and our hearts this morning. Isaiah encountered the revelation of the glory of God and his life and his ministry and his way of seeing the world around him would never and could never be the same. Now, what did Isaiah see and experience exactly? He saw a king seated on a throne with his glory so weighty and so palpable that it was impossible to stand in his presence. Isaiah also saw angels there, seraphim, not the little precious moments, chubby baby angels that we put up on our Christmas tree every year. No, these are the types of beings that make humans drop to their knees in fear every time they come into contact with one. They are mind-blowing, otherworldly, flaming warrior creatures. And as much as Isaiah's gaze probably wanted to be drawn to these outrageous things, even these seraphim were nothing compared to the brilliance of God's radiant glory. The seraphim were covering their own eyes and their own feet with their wings because God was too much for even them to behold. And the seraphim give us the common refrain 
of the song of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And while Isaiah was seeing and experiencing all of this, something else was happening. The entire foundation of everything around him was shaking like an earthquake. This was the trembling of so-called reality in the face of the one who is reality. Hebrews 12 tells us that God's voice shook the earth. This is the entire cosmos coming to the realization that it was merely placeholding for the real deal. This is the entire universe standing in the presence and face of its creator and quaking and trembling in awe. And right then, in that precise moment in Isaiah's life, God could no longer be relegated to a puppy dog God. God could no longer be pushed to the side as a mere idea floating around in the ether. Isaiah realized that his concept of God the God that he had pictured and created in his own mind was being completely and totally obliterated and melted away by the presence of the actual, personal, real God. And this changed everything for Isaiah. Isaiah realized that his living room now needed a complete overhaul The furniture had to be totally rearranged. Moving the rug three or four feet to the left was no longer going to be good enough or even possible in light of this personal encounter with the almighty king of the universe. I'd like to spend the rest of our morning focusing on some practical ways that we can, if we so desire, address our hallowing problem. But before we move on to some helpful takeaways, can we stop for a second and ask ourselves, do we want this? Do we need this? Do we need it as individuals? Do we need it as a church? Are our lives also in need of drastic rearrangement? There's a lot of incredible, positive energy here at Lakeland these days. The Holy Spirit is at work. (laughs) You can sense it walking around on Sunday mornings right now. But if we go right back to arranging our furniture of our lives the way that we are used to, if we just try to scooch that recliner over a bit or or move the rug a little bit to the left, it's not going to stick. We'll look back on this period as a nice peak on the roller coaster ride of our spiritual journey, but not as a turning point, as a moment when our lives and our church 
simply couldn't be the same. I hope and pray that we seize this opportunity to reorient our lives, to rehallow, to put God back on the throne of our hearts where he belongs in the center of our lives as the ultimate thing that we glorify. Hallowed be thy name. I want us to look at three things this morning that will help us in our rehallowing efforts. First, bathing our world in the presence of the real God. If there's one bit of helpful advice that seems to just leap off the page of Isaiah 6 here, it's the importance of experiencing the living God in a real and meaningful way. Now, I have to admit to you this morning that a lot of what I know about this, I learned from my wife. She has always been much better at this than I am, especially with our kids. I always had the habit of letting the mundane and everyday simply be mundane and everyday. I can be content to wake up each morning and start checking my task list for the day, preparing myself for the stress or worry that day might bring, focusing on myself and my desires and my needs with zero attention or recognition of the God who is in all and over all things. Even when I would take an incredible trip, driving out to the mountains or gazing across an endless blue sea, it was easier for me to think, wow, that's pretty, than it was to declare in my heart, wow, God is un." Believable. Who could create something like this? The creativity, the artistry, the imagination. What kind of God would create something like this for me? Can you see why this difference is so important? Because as soon as I begin to answer those questions, I have recognized God's existence and his work of creation around me. And I realize I have been in his presence the entire time. I am not conjuring God. I'm simply waking up to the reality that I have been immune to, that I have numbed myself to, that has been blurred by my own busyness and distractibility. But while recognizing the presence of God is a great first step, it can't be the last step if we want our living room totally rearranged. The second step is taking every opportunity that we can to praise and adore God. When I first began to go on prayer retreats at Lakeland, usually led by Pastor Dan, and as an aside, I highly, highly recommend that everyone take advantage of this opportunity and carve out time to do this yourselves at some point. But I often struggled with these times of silence and solitude. I struggled to know what to pray about. I struggled with how to spend my time. 
Usually I spent quite a lot of the time beating myself up about how I hadn't been praying enough or going on solitude retreats often enough. (laughs) But the thing that helped me most with this situation is something that will also be helpful for each and every one of us in our rehallowing quest. And that is the practice of adoration. I began starting each and every one of my prayer times sitting in, basking in, feeling myself surrounded by the goodness and the love and the mercy of God. Little by little, the more and more often that I did this, I began to see that my perspective was changing. I felt my priorities in life being reordered. I felt anxiety and worries began to dissipate faster than they ever had before. Why? Because my experience of God was getting beyond just mere recognition. Because I was seeing and feeling deep down in a way that seeped all the way into my soul that there is one big enough and strong enough to be worthy of my gaze and my attention. A God worthy of glorifying and adoring. And last but certainly not least, if we really want to properly hallow, if we really want to reorient our lives around God in the center, we must, must see and believe that God loves us. I want us to go back to Isaiah's experience of God from our text this morning. Upon coming face to face with this God, what is Isaiah's reaction? It is most certainly not pride. He does not say, yeah, I kind of figured I'd be the next one to get to do this. No. Isaiah says, woe is me. I am undone. I am completely and totally wrecked. And notice what he says. I am a man of unclean lips. Now let's not miss this. As a prophet of God, Isaiah's lips were probably the most important thing about him. He was a preacher, an orator, a spoken word artist, and an incredible one. The, the poetry uh, that, that we find in Isaiah's book is, is some of the most incredible that we have found in the history of literature. This is a man who has spent most of his time proclaiming to the people the very word of God. That is his job. And Isaiah realizes that the task that God has called him to do which is to call out and admonish the people for their uncleanness, for their disobedience, for the sinfulness and fallenness of their hearts, he is unworthy to do because he's one of them. For I am lost, he says, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. (laughs) 
the scene paints a really clear picture that coming face to face with the actual real God and not a paper cut out of him that we've made for ourselves results in confession. But I also want us to see that in our moments of woe, our moments of undoneness, our moments of confession, there is a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation leaves us ashamed, broken, and turning away from God. But God-initiated and God-guided conviction never does. Just look at how God deals with Isaiah in this really vulnerable state that we find Isaiah in. He comes and he touches him with a burning coal taken from the altar on his lips, on the very thing that Isaiah has just confessed feels unclean and woeful to him. And he says, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. God is saying to Isaiah, I am not a God of condemnation. I am God of love and mercy. And my love for you knows no bounds. There is nothing that I wouldn't do to rebuild you, to transform you back into who I created you to be. And as we consider this morning what it's really going to take to reorient ourselves and to rehallow the Lord of lords and the King of kings, we must look to the reality of God's presence with us and to the beauty of God's story to us. The story of an almighty, all-powerful God, ruler of the entire universe, in whose presence none can stand, and the very universe quakes. And yet, who cares very deeply and very personally for each and every one of us who gave up his own life so that we might find ours. This is true love. And this is worth hallowing. Will you pray with me? God, we come to you this morning as a people who knows that we are in desperate need of you. I think we spend a lot of time during the day trying to convince ourselves this isn't true. But when we see you, when we look to you just as Isaiah did, we see that it's, it is, it is completely true. We need you fully. 
and eternally. And we thank you that you are so faithful to us and so loving of us as your children that you plan to make that a reality from the very beginning. Before the entire universe was created, you knew this plan you had for us, and it was to redeem and remake and love us as your child. We pray today that the reality of our need to rearrange our lives and to put you back in the center where you belong is a tall task. It is a great undertaking. And it's going to take and need time. But we pray that your spirit would be at work. It would be you leading the way, you guiding us, you showing us how it can possibly be done. May we see you as Isaiah saw you. And may we know and experience your love for us. And it's in Jesus, the one who has come and the one who has loved, that we all pray this morning. Amen.